Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Hey everybody, welcome to church. It's nice to see you. How are you doing? Uh, it's great to, to have you here. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name is, is John Owen. It's a real pleasure uh, to, to have you here with us. Why don't you join me in thanking our incredible band? How amazing are they? We are blessed. Hey, uh, if, if you've been with us for the, the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series. In fact, the series is behind me, isn't it? Look at that. The team up in the booth know what they're doing. We've been in a series. Uh, it's a group thing. Yeah, we're really, we've been talking about the truth, the reality that while we follow Jesus for ourselves, only you can have a relationship with Jesus. We do not follow Jesus on our own. Yeah, that, that in fact, we believe that following Jesus is something that we do together. You could say that it is a group thing. See, beautiful. We're in sync. Uh, and it's been awesome to, to hear feedback across the, the last couple of weeks about how it's been encouraging. Uh, a little bit of feedback about how it's been confronting, but that's good too, right? We don't want to stay where we are. We want to move forward, but, but really how it's been a, a good reminder, especially in uh, something like this winter season where it can be such a natural tendency to want to withdraw inwards, to want to hibernate and keep to ourselves, to be reminded, hey, we are not simply individuals following our own personal Jesus on our own, but we're a part of a community that follows Jesus uh, together. And, and last week, Em talked about, uh, about loneliness, yeah? And, and about the, the lies that we can believe that keep us out of relationship with each other, that keep us isolated. Because the reality is, is that we need to confront that we are in a loneliness epidemic, that, that people, unfortunately, are, are simply getting lonelier and lonelier and that it's not getting better. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do this morning. I'm gonna share some bad news and we're gonna work towards good news. Is that all right? I think that's a better way to do it than the other way around. So hopefully you leave here encouraged, but just be ready for a little bit of things to be encouraged from, yeah? Uh, the 2021 General Social Survey, which I know you all read and, and uh, you know, you're always just waiting for the next social survey. Uh, it's a general, 2021 is the most recent of its type. It happens, as we all know, around about every three years. Um, but it found that 17.6% of New Zealanders feel lonely on a regular basis. And, and more than that, and, and more concerning, I would suggest, is it found close to 4% of New Zealanders feel lonely all the time. That their constant state of being is one of, of loneliness. And I want to remind us, like Em said last week, that surely this is not how it's meant to be. Yeah, that community is not something that we simply do, but community is, is who we are. And so today I kind of want to start from the premise of I think as a church, we have a responsibility to say, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. If we're called to be Jesus's hands and feet, to represent him, to carry out his work, to bring something of the kingdom of heaven to earth, then surely we have something, some role to play in being a part of the, the solution to this. And I also want to acknowledge maybe the elephant in the room for you in this series so far is, is that you've been lonely in church. Like you're here today and you're saying, man, that's great that, that this is meant to, you know, church is meant to be a solution and that we can be a community. But, but Jono, if I'm being honest, I've been in church, maybe even you're here today and I've been lonely in church. And, and so how is this meant to be a part of the solution when I feel like I'm, I'm lonely even here? And so today what I'd like to do is to briefly look at a little bit of, of why are we lonely? to look at, at some of the cause so that we can know what we need to do in response. And then I wanna look at what the Bible tells us that we can do as a community of people about it. Is that good? Yeah. 
Awesome. Why don't you bow your heads with me uh, and, and let's pray. God, I thank you so much for, for this time together. God, I thank you that, that when your word goes out, it never returns void. And I pray today that, that as we look at your word, as we look at what you say about community, that it wouldn't be my ideas, that it wouldn't be me convincing us of anything, but that you would speak. God, where it's me, would it, would it fall to the ground? But where it is of you, would it land in our hearts? Would it take root? Would it grow into something that develops and, and bears forth fruit? God, that we would leave here encouraged and, and we would leave here more aware, more uh, enabled, more equipped into being the people that you've called us to be. We don't simply wanna observe the world and say, oh, that's a bad thing. We wanna be a part of the answer and the solution by your power and by your grace. I pray that above all else today, you would be glorified and we would leave here more assured of your love for us and, and more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the question that I think we need to start with, right, if we're looking at kind of this loneliness epidemic is quite simply this, why are we lonely? Like, what is, is going on? What is causing this loneliness epidemic that statistics are telling us is, is sweeping not just our nations, but nations around the world, the Western developed world at least? Em, em touched on this last week, but it's interesting to know that loneliness has risen previously historically. We've seen spikes in, in loneliness in, in other times in history, but it's always been the result of something. What I mean by that has been that there's been something we can very easily point to and say, oh, well, this is what's happening here. The, the most kind of obvious example is following World War I. Following World War I, a, a bunch of people became lonelier as a result of their friends and family dying in war. Their friends went away, fought in war, lost their lives, did not return home, and the people that they left were lonely. We can see that and we go, oh, well, that makes sense. That, that makes sense why loneliness is, is rising in those sort of circumstances, but then it settles back down. But our current rise in loneliness is the first rise that we've seen globally in the Western world that's not rooted in disaster or mass loss of life. And, and researchers think if we were to distill it down that it's really, it's, it's because of two things. The, the first thing it's because of is, is this culture of hyper-individualism. And the second thing that it's because of is the digital age in which we live. Let me, let me explain a little bit. The, the individual in Western society has become the measure of society, right? It's that the thing by which we look to see if things are good or, or bad is how do we feel about it as individuals? You're like, Jono, how else would we feel about it? Of course you'd think that way. You live in a Western society, right? But, but here's what, if you follow your truth or if you do what seems right to, to you, if you pursue your needs, we could sum it up as we have before in, in the simple statement, you do you, right? Do whatever you feel like. And maybe if we're feeling generous, we'll add on the caveat as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, right? If we live this way, then surely that's the, the good life. But, but the result, the way that this is kind of being expressed is that the goal can become protecting your freedom at all costs, Living a life in which you're never obligated to anyone or anything, in which you kind of, you're a, a rolling stone that gathers no moss, you know, not putting down roots in, in any sort of significant way so that if you need to move for your own pleasure and good, you can just go. You can pick things up and, and depart. And so we live lives where we interact with other people, but kind of only from a filling my needs sort of a way, not sowing into community in a, a deep way. And then at the same time of this, for a, a growing number of people in, in our society, their primary uh, community, and, and with that, their sense of identity and, and self and sense of self-worth and their moral vision and their sense of meaning and purpose in life all comes from the online world, not from real world relationships. 
right? We, we have this kind of move. Dave spoke so well about it a couple of weeks ago where b- people can so easily live in an echo chamber. They think, well, of course, everyone agrees with me because everyone that I talk to shares my belief, right? I don't really talk to people in real life because that's scary. We make general chit chat and that's kind of it. But I'll get into it pretty deep with some people online and everyone that I find online seems to agree with me. So this must be the way that the world works, right? Unfortunately, there's some algorithms going on there that are are pushing you into certain places because they make a lot of money off of you aggregating in those certain ways. We won't get into that uh, today, right? I'm not saying Illuminati or anything like that, just to be crystal clear, just Google and Meta. Um, But but both of these factors, kind of this hyper-individualism, don't put down any roots, just do whatever makes you feel good, and this rise of, of digital relationships, especially as a replacement for, for real-world relationships, come not just in a, uh, it doesn't just result in a fall in significant relationships, but a rise in the space between us. Right, disagreements that could have once been left, at, hey, look, let's agree to disagree and, and we can still be friends, instead become insurmountable. We see not just community decreasing, but tribalism rising in which identities are based not just on what you believe, but on what you disagree. Right, it's not, oh, hey, I think this is a good thing. It's, hey, I'm anti this thing. Paul calls this the the walls of hostility. And I think this is something that we need to be extra aware of as we come into an election cycle, Yeah. That there are going to be opportunities for us to put up walls and say, oh, you vote that way, you're a bad person. Rather than maybe you just don't share my views on things. Hey, let's talk about it. Let's seek to understand a little bit of who you are. And so the result is not just the decline of community, but the rise of the sort of anti-community in which we all live in these echo chambers, only hearing our own opinions bounced back to us. A fake sort of community that builds animosity to anyone different than us. See, we might not realize it, but realistically, we are in the middle of a change in our culture that is as significant as the Industrial Revolution, right? That's that moment that that M spoke about last week where people moved from villages and towns where they were known and new people into these new kind of, I mean, they weren't fully new, but new in a different way, cities, where you would come together for industry and you would find jobs in this place and, and, and you would move from known and community to an individual in a city. And it's interesting in that kind of move, and we could go down a rabbit hole here, but we won't, I promise. But in that move, the first thing that happened was people set up societies in the cities. But I'll come and, and be a part of the engineering society or the fishmongers society or, or the Christian society or whatever else it might be. And we'll be a part of these communities within a larger community. Hey, we're not a part of a village anymore, but we need to know each other. And so that was established. But then with kind of the rise of neoliberalism and, and marketing as a product and people as consumers rather than people, people were divided into individual units and people drifted away. You think of, and this is, you know, I'm not a part of Rotary, so this is no judgment, but show of hands, right? Not many of us are a part of Lions or, or Rotary or those societies that used to exist that bound our communities together in significant ways. Those are all declining. Nothing is replacing them unless you're in some sort of a faith community like this or maybe a sports club, which is there for a period of life. And we're left isolated and, and alone. And, and so we're in the middle of the shift from it was village to industrial, but now we're in the middle of a shift from industrial to a digital world. And, and in reality, in a number of ways, COVID just accelerated this. Well, I don't know if I want to just stay at home and, and order food online and have, rather than go to the store, have things delivered to me and 
and just, you know, interact with people who I, I've never met, but I have a great relationship with because we've talked on, I don't know if I want to do that. And then COVID was like, we well, have to. And so we got good at it. We adapted to it. We're like, well, this is a good way to do relationship. And now we find ourselves in a world where we are freer, but we've established these new ways of interacting, these digital relationships. So not only are people lonelier, they're lonelier because community is being replaced with tribalism. And, and I would say that there is this, this siren's call to, to leave the mess, and it is messy, but the mess of a diverse community of people and, and settle for the sterile comfort of a digital echo chamber. You know, we feel this temptation. It's, it's that moment on a Sunday morning when you wake up and you think, maybe I'll just stream in the service today. There's nothing wrong with streaming a service. So we offer streaming a service to meet needs within our community. And, and I get it, sometimes it's easier and it's simpler and I won't have to engage in conversation or get out of my pajamas. If I could preach a sermon to you today in my pajamas, I would, right? But for your sake, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, right? It's just, there's some lines you should not cross. And yet the Bible tells us that there's something special about gathering together. Right, the teachings of Jesus, we, we see the life of the early church, we, we find a world in sharp contrast to our culture. And so I think our question needs to be, what can we do as a body of people, as, as God's church, to combat loneliness, to reject tribalism? And so if you will, what I want to do today is we're going to read a, a chunk of Scripture. Uh, turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read the entire chapter, uh, but we're going to go through it at pace. And, and I know you'll love it because everyone's been saying to me, Jono, we just need to read more chunks of Scripture in one solid go. It's been the constant feedback. It's not necessarily been true, uh, but it lets me do what I want. So uh, Romans, uh, Romans as a book is a bit of a theological masterpiece, right? So to kind of give a, a, a bit of an introduction to what we're reading, the first eight chapters or so are about what God has done for us in Christ, kind of Paul setting it up. And then the, the next from uh, verses 9, 10, and 11 are all about what Christ has done in the church, about really, you know, Paul saying, this is an amazing thing that's happening. You've got this group of people who were Jew and Gentile who did not like each other. And now they're united by a common belief and, and they've come together in, in Christ. And then chapter 12, what we're gonna read is kind of the hinge chapter. If God's done all of these things and if, if Jesus has been working in our community, how do we come together as, as a community of believers? It, it starts with therefore, meaning in light of the last 11 chapters, that this is what Paul thinks it looks like to live in a community of believers. Are you ready? Excited. So pumped, right? You're like, I wish, I was just looking forward to just turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm really excited for Romans 12. Oh, you are. I felt that. I felt that. Yeah. Next week, I'll just read the entire book, right? It'll be great. So uh, <laughs> Romans 12. I'm not preaching next week. Uh, Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Paul starts with using this image of church as a family. And really, he's calling back to Jesus in Mark 3 when he says, My brothers and sisters, do the will of the one who sent me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, meaning all of you, every part of your life, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, God has a different view of reality than we do. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He's saying the humility is the prerequisite to community. Right? We can't come in here thinking, man, I've got so much to give her. I'm better than everyone else. Everyone's lucky to have me. We come in being like, man, I'm so grateful to be a part of community. 
He continues, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So Paul starts with this metaphor of family, and then he builds on it with a second metaphor of community, even more intimate with than family, of, of being a body. Right, not just a family where people come and go, but a body where you are knit together. And interestingly, Paul uses this metaphor, but it really it, it gained traction after Jesus' death and resurrection. Right? Paul says probably the first one that we find is 1 Corinthians 12, 27, that we are the body of Christ. And, and what's interesting about this is the inference is that Jesus used to walk around doing stuff. Jesus used to walk around loving people and bringing something of the kingdom of heaven to earth, but Jesus has died, been resurrected, and sent the Spirit to us, so now we walk around. Now we are the body of Christ, doing the work of Christ in the world. Jesus used to walk around bringing transformation. Now Jesus walks around in us, and we get to continue doing what Jesus did, which is pretty cool. Right, it continues. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And now Paul is warmed up, which I can relate to, right? Sometimes you just need to put some stuff out there and then you start to hit your paces. And so he's warmed up and he brings 25 short, straight commands about how to be in community. He says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, meaning make decisions in the wisdom of community. Reject individualism. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He's saying, hey, reconciliation is two-way. I get that but do what you can to make things right. Then he finishes, do not take revenge, my dear brothers, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, rather than taking revenge, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Some translations tell you will outdo them in love. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a bunch in there, right? And across the next four hours, we're going to unpack all of it. No, I'm just <laughs> Lock the doors. No, kidding, kidding. Right, but, but what do we do with something like that? Because I think we read it as we did in that big chunk, and I think sometimes it's important to read big passages of Scripture to see the overall movement. We can, we can kind of pick it apart and read the different bits. We, we read the, the bits of, oh, be joyful in hope, patient, and those bits are great, right? We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Might have even been bits in there. You're like, oh, that's where that comes from. I, I know that verse, but I didn't get the wider context, but understanding the wider context is helpful. And yet when we get the big context, we're like, what do I do with that? Like how do I apply that in my life? And so to kind of help us to, to cut that off and to, to chew it over a little bit, I want to give you three ideas, three invitations that we can take from this manifesto for how we can be in community. They're not the exhaustive, they're not the only three ideas, but three invitations for how we can be in community. How do we be a community that combats loneliness? So if you're, if you're taking notes, uh, write these down. It's, it's these three. We'll go through each of them, but I'll give you them in, in, uh, to start off with. Is we remain in community 
we reveal in community, and we restore in community. Those are good points because they're mysterious enough that you're like, yeah, that sounds good, but I don't know what you mean. So now you have to keep on listening, right? You can't tune off for the rest of the sermon. Number one, I've taken notes, remain in community. We can say it this way, intimacy grows in the safety of commitment. The reality is, is that it takes time to grow significant relationships, unless you're five, right? In which case, like our son Oliver, you find your best friend at school, and you've known them for a week, and your best friends, like you've known each other all your lives, right? That doesn't quite happen as you get older, I've found. Although sometimes you're on the phone with people, and you're like, hey, we just met, but I feel like we're quick. But, but in reality, most of the time, it takes time to grow relationships, which is interesting because I cannot count, as in there's too many to count, the number of times that I've talked to people who've just started or who've just joined an e-group, and they say something to me like, I'm just not sure if we're clicking. It's, it's awkward, and, and, and it's hard. To which I think the only honest response is, yeah. Like you're a bunch of kind of strangers or, or best acquaintances coming together and intentionally building community. That takes trust and vulnerability and it's gonna be awkward and hard. You're coming into this place to, to build a place of trust and openness, but in reality, we only really build community by going through things together. Real community, lasting community is built when we experience a disagreement. Or, or a misunderstanding, or, or we're hurt, and then we forgive, or we rebuild, or we don't walk away. It's the space in between those moments, the hurt and the forgiveness in which relationship is really built. And, and sometimes simply sticking with it is the hardest part, right? It's, it's much easier to be in relationships with people who don't know you, who, who don't know your past, who don't know your, your tendencies, people who you can fool, where you can keep the mask on and they don't realize that it's simply a facade. And sure, I want to say, sometimes there are good reasons to, to break off or step back from relationships. But I would say as a, a general rule, stay or go really slowly. Because there will be seasons when it feels like a delight to be in a relationship. When maybe you're in an e-group or a small group, and you're like, man, it's just it, every week it's better than the last week. We're just having great discussions and it's, it's fun and it's funny and there's beautiful food and, and significant times of prayer. And there'll be seasons when it feels like a discipline and you don't really feel like you're getting anything out of it. Or, or you know, if you're honest, someone is annoying you. You're like, why am I in the group with them? Why can't they go somewhere else? God loves them, but I'm struggling. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't happen in our faith community, but other ones where people are less nice. But we're not just in this for us, right? And in this hyper, we need to be intentionally countercultural that we are not defined as a community by hyper individualism. Paul uses the imagery of, of a family and a body, two things that if you notice, you, you cannot and do not separate from quickly. Right, where there is a connection that keeps us together, sometimes whether we want to be connected together or not. Because intimacy grows in the safety of commitment. So the first invitation is to remain in community. Sometimes the thing that you want is just on the other side of some time. The second invitation, if you're taking notes, is to reveal in community. Maybe you're sitting here today and if you're honest, you're like, Jono, I've, I've been here for a long time and I've been in e-group for, for years and I show up and I sit down and, and, and I'm there and then I go and nothing happens. Like I, I keep on showing up, but nothing's really, it's not working. And to that, without knowing the full kind of circumstances of what's going on, I simply want to ask, are you known? 
Like, do others in your community know what you are dreaming for? Do others in community know what you are going through, or do, do, going through? Do you know what others in your community are going through? Do you know what others in your community are, are dreaming for? Because the reality is, is you can be in a room and not really be in a room. You can be there in, in presence, but, but not be engaging in any sort of real way. You can be there, but, but keep the walls up. Keep the mask on. Keep on pretending. And if you're just there, but you're not really there, you're not actually there at all. See, the, the truth is, is that life can be rough. But, but what's interesting is psychologists have found that one of the main factors in how trauma affects someone isn't just experiencing suffering. Everyone, basically, lots of people, I would say everyone experiences some sort of suffering, but not everyone who suffers takes on trauma. And people can suffer basically the same sorts of things and respond to it very differently. And by trauma, I mean debilitative lies and unhelpful coping strategies, right? And I want to say trauma happens most often, research would tell us, when we experience suffering alone. When we don't have anyone to, to process that pain with. We need to be able to share. We need to be able to reveal what we're going through. And it's not just listening to other people. It's sharing ourselves. It's, it's being open. It's allowing others in. Go beyond the chit-chat to get to talk about the things that really matter. To be open enough that you can be hurt because real relationships involve risk. So we could put it this way. There can be no vulnerability without risk and there can be no community without vulnerability. And just as a helpful tip, this is not going to happen just in the foyer. Right? It, it, it takes getting into each other's lives. It's one of the main reasons that we have e-groups together, to be able to process together, to be able to pray together. Because you know what? You can actually sit, I found you can sit through a whole e-group and you've got some stuff going on in your life, but you're staying in that place of chit-chat, right? Of talking about, oh yeah, these are great ideas and academically you're discussing. But when it comes time as an e-group where you say, hey, has anyone got things that we can pray for? You have a moment. Am I gonna be open and honest with this group of people that actually there are some things in my life that are really hard that I need prayer for or am I gonna pretend it's all fine? And there's that opening and it's a beautiful moment because it can be hard, right? We've all sat in the room and you've got something you wanna say and you're kind of looking for the opening but people call me on talking about the dip and you're like, don't talk about the dip. I have some very important things to share. It might just be me, right? We have amazing dips. See, in my experience, nothing builds relationship and intimacy quite like praying together. Sharing your, your needs and then praying about it. Being a part of a group that brings your struggles and your hopes to God. And, and there's this moment where you hear your hopes come out of someone else's mouth with more faith than you can muster in that moment. It's a holy moment, right? Like where you're sitting back a little bit in awe, like you're believing for that? Awesome. I want to believe for that. Like I was just hoping for, for this and you're over here. So yeah, God, I raised my prayers. I'm coming in with them. I don't know if you can do it, but they seem to think you can. So I'm going to take the faith that I have and piggyback. There's something beautiful in, in that moment. And they're not just praying together, but coming back together and sharing life together, praying again, celebrating what God is doing, lamenting together, whatever it looks like, wherever we're at on that journey, being vulnerable. Because intimacy grows in the safety of commitment and there can be no community without vulnerability. So number one, remain in community. Number two, reveal in community. And the, finally, the, the third invitation as I get the band up to join me is restore in community. 
You know, Em said it last week, the sales pitch is this. In community, you will get hurt. Life is messy. We recognize it's not a great sales pitch. It lacks some sort of deception that most sales pitches have. But we're not trying to sell you anything. Right, and I wanna say I recognize that this can be scary. In fact, you might be here today and you've been hurt in the context of church. And, and I wanna start before I say anything else by saying I'm so sorry that that happened. Whatever context that may be in, maybe it was our context, in which case we wanna learn from it. Maybe it was context which we have nothing to do with, but I'm sorry it happened however it happened. It's not right and it should not happen. But I also wanna challenge the thought that you have that maybe you were hurt by the church. This, this big kind of nameless, faceless thing. And as a result, you don't know if you wanna try community again. You don't know if church community is for you. Because the reality is, is no one's really hurt by the church. Because the church is, is simply, it's, it's ephemeral. It can't hurt, it's not a singular entity. It's an idea. Ideas don't, don't hurt us. You were hurt by a person or a group of people in church and maybe they represented that church. And just the fact that I'm saying, hey, it wasn't that church, it was people, does not disregard your hurt, does not dismiss it or, or make it any smaller. I wanna say it sucks. But as a result, maybe you found it hard to, to trust, hard to re-engage. I've been open before, but what happens if I'm open again and I get hurt again? I don't know if I can go through that, right? It's better to keep people at an arm's length and, and at least not hate everyone, just have a mild animosity but at least I won't get hurt again. But it's like Emma said last week, it's like choking on some food and thinking, well, that's it, I'm done with food. It's too dangerous. Smoothies only for me. Right, we need to realize that there are some parts of life which carry risk, but they also carry reward. That while there is risk in engaging in community, in community we find that we come to life in a way that we do not and cannot anywhere else. To be healthy, we need to re-engage. And I love the way that Henry Nowen, who's a fantastic theologian and writer, puts it. He sums it up in a letter that he wrote in response to being asked the question, why do I have to go to church? Churches suck. My words, not the letter writer's words, right? Paraphrase. Why can't I just be spiritual but not religious? And he says this, the church as you say so clearly, can be in the way of God, can get in the way, it can mess things up, but it will never cease to also be the way of God. This is the hard paradox of the religious life. When we give up the church completely, when we give up community completely, we will end up losing God. So he's not saying that the church is God, but, but, but he is saying that God is relational. And, and, and like we've heard across the series, we are relational. We don't work outside of relationships with other people. And so we need to remain in community. We need to reveal in community. And we need to restore in community. And so to finish, I'm, I'm almost done. What does it look like to restore in community? I'm not talking about falls from grace or that kind of thing, but I mean the everyday offenses, the wedges between people. Again, to quote Henry now, and he says, practically, this looks quite simply like, forgiving each other for not being God. Because no church, no community, no relationship, no friendship, no spouse, no family, no parents, no child, no pastor can live up to all of our expectations. Everyone and everything at some point will let us down and that includes ourselves. 
And that's not a big kind of, oh, life is bad sort of statement, but the sales pitch is life is messy and you will get hurt. We will be disillusioned. It won't be perfect, but we actually think that's okay. Because hear me out, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, he sums up this problem by saying that those who love the dream of the Christian community more than the community itself, the real community will unintentionally become a destroyer of that real community. See, what he's saying is it's easy to love the dream. It's easy to love the idea of community because it's not a real thing. It's a hypothetical situation. It's easy to love the concept of community or church or relationships or marriage or friendship or whatever it is. But, but in practice, a concept is never perfect. It doesn't get worked out the way that it should. It never lives up to the idea or the ideal. But that doesn't mean that we don't try that we don't have hopes and aspirations, that we don't learn from our mistakes, but at the same time, we don't let the idea of community destroy the reality of community. See, how do we do that? I believe we restore in community. We forgive each other for not being God. Because while God is perfect, we are not. We will hurt each other and that sucks, but we need to not let the idea crush the reality. To bring it back to where we started, this is why I love Romans 12, because it's honest, right? There's an assumption built into each of these commands that there's tension, that there's interpersonal conflict, that sometimes you won't want to, that sometimes you'll want to get back at people, that sometimes you'll be proud, that sometimes you won't want to share, that sometimes you won't want to listen, that sometimes you'll be jealous. And Paul looks all of this in the face and he calls the church to live as a family and as a body. So how do we be a community that combats loneliness? I'd suggest we could start with three simple invitations. We remain in community because intimacy grows in the safety of commitment. We reveal in community because you can be in the room without really being in the room and we restore in community. We we forgive each other for not being God. We recognize that we are broken people but we do not let the idea, we do not let what it should be destroy the good that it is. See, I'm done today, but my prayer is that this would be practically applied to us. So we wouldn't walk out of here just thinking, oh yeah, we should really be better at community. But we would each embrace what we can do and what we have. So two things that you can do this week. Number one, get together with someone else from this community, from this faith community for for a coffee or a walk or a conversation. Move towards a level of communication in which you can share more than just facts and opinions and talking about the weather but also recognize that it might take some time. That if it's the first time you've caught up and you unleash it all, then it might be a little bit awkward. Go for it if you want, right? But recognize that it takes time to build trust, but build it. And number two, share a space, a meal, an e-group, whatever it might be with a small group of others to reflect and to share and to pray, especially to pray. Don't do life alone. Right? We are a house of prayer. That doesn't just mean that we are individuals who pray. It means that we are individuals who pray together, sharing our hopes and our dreams. I want to finish by, by doing two things and I'm done. Maybe just stand to your feet. The first thing that I want to do is, is simply to remind you that you're made for, for relationship, not just with each other but with God. And while we need to forgive each other for not being God, we, we also have the hope found in the fact that we have a Savior who will not let us down, 
who is an ever-present help in our times of need, who is a comforter closer than a brother. But He's not going to force relationship on us. And so maybe you're here today, just as we bow our heads, as we close our eyes, and you would acknowledge, I don't know if I know Jesus in the way that you're talking about. I don't know if I would say that I consider Jesus to be my friend, let alone my Lord and my Savior, my God. In a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to change that, to walk out of here assured of the fact that you are trusting Jesus, that you are drawing close to Him, that while every other relationship in your life might be messy, there is one who you can trust throughout it all. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never asked Him to be your friend, to to come and to live in your heart, to be in relationship with you, to trust, for you to trust Him as your God, or maybe you have, but you would recognize today that somewhere between then and now, you've stepped away from that trust. Maybe you've been hurt in community and you've attached that hurt to Jesus and you've withdrawn and you're realizing now that wasn't Jesus that hurt me. That was people. I can draw close to Jesus again. Whatever it might be, just in this moment as it's you and Jesus, I'd love to pray a prayer that we pray every week in which we choose to trust Jesus afresh to remind ourselves of who He is to us and who we can be in relationship with Him. So if that's you, as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, on the count of three, I'm simply gonna ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying this with and then we're gonna pray it together because this is the decision that we make in community and we live out in community. So if that's you, if today you'd say, John, I'm choosing to trust Jesus for the first time. There's a recommitment here. This is my time to draw close to Jesus as a friend. Would you raise your hand in three, two, one. Would you raise your hand and let me know? Awesome, I see that hand. Others here today saying that's me. If that's you online, we'd love to pray with you. Just wanna give it another moment. If that's you, why don't you raise your hand nice and high and let me know. Awesome. Awesome, church, would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, today, I choose to follow you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that I can trust you. Help me to follow you in a world that's messy. Thank you that you help. You are love. You are truth. Be my God. In Jesus' name. Amen. The, the last thing I'd like to do just before we finish the service, maybe as you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I feel like this is a thing just between us and God. Reality is I know for a fact that there are people here today who've been hurt in community. And maybe a message like this you hear and you go, oh, well, I, I know that this is true. Like I know that I, I shouldn't be avoiding eating for the fact of trying to avoid choking. I know that this is a way that I need to live, that community is good for me, that I find life in community. John, I, I know I'm lonely, but when I go to try and re-engage, there's a, there's a flinch. The idea of trying to be open, of, of being vulnerable, it, it just, I cannot, I cannot do it. I can't, ha- I can't handle it. Like in, in all the strength that I have, I've tried, but maybe you've even, you've shown up to a few e-groups or whatever it looks like, and you're like, I just can't, I can't push through. Just heads is bowed and eyes are closed. We exist in this tension of being hurt and sometimes even being hurt by the very things that are meant to bring life and yet still needing those things. 
And so what I'd like to do is to, to join with you in the prayer that I believe that you have in your heart. Say, God, I wanna be in community. God, I don't wanna be isolated. I don't wanna be lonely. I don't wanna withdraw. But I've got this flinch. I've got this thing that whenever I try and press in, I, I pull back. If you're here today and you can identify with that feeling and you don't wanna feel that way anymore, as heads about, as eyes are closed, this is a decision between you and God, a moment of identifying the need in your life. Would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Awesome. I was here today, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Awesome. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything, go anywhere, but I just wanna know who I'm praying with. Just say, hey, I'm here and I'm, community hurts. I pull back when I know that I should push in. One more time, if that's you, would you raise your hand with me? That's good. Just as heads remain bowed, as eyes are closed. Jesus, I thank you today for the honesty of community. As we come together as your people and recognize what we are called to. God, for those of us in the room here today, maybe even online, who say, hey, I wanna be a part of community, but there's something in me that pulls back. There's something of a hurt in me that, that limits how far I can go. God, would you bring healing where we can't? Would you mend broken mindsets? Where there are barriers to, to connection, would you come and do what only you can do? God, where there are past hurts, where we need to forgive, would you help us to forgive? Not saying that what happened was right, but saying it will no longer define us. To move into the freedom that you have for us. God, where there are barriers to community for us in the room today, would you come alongside us as we take them down? As we acknowledge this is gonna be hard, this might hurt, but it's worth it, I'm gonna engage anyway. God, would you help us in the strength that we have to do what you've called us to do in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, what we're gonna do, I know we're approaching time. I'm just gonna get the band to lead us in a, just a moment of reflection, a short song of worship. And I would love for you to simply reflect as you sing on what are you gonna do? Right, we believe sermons don't change people, but what we do with them can change everything. And so in what sort of way will you engage in community? Maybe you're here today and, and you've heard us talking about e-groups for a long time, but you've yet to join. You know, I've got a bunch of reasons and I'm sure they're great, but in reality, life is found in community. So join in. Maybe you're like, I just need to look for a, an e-group, a community to be a part of today. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm, I'm lonely in the crowd and the only person who can change that is me. Would you engage in some sort of way? Would you engage in conversation? Would you just, maybe even just in the foyer after the service, just actively look lonely? That sounds weird, right? But don't do that thing where you pull out your phone and pretend you're very, very busy. Just be bold enough to look some people in the eyes like, no, I'm not actively not wanting to engage. I just don't know how to and let us as community come around you and engage with you, right? We're trying to be polite. We don't want to overstep. So are oh, that person on their phone? They're very busy. They're probably arranging some sort of international deals, right? I don't know. <laughs> but engage in some sort of way. Come and stand, be a part of the conversation, but let's engage. Let's leave here more connected than we were when we came in. Is that all right? Yeah. 
Hey, one last time, would you bow your heads with me? I'm just going to pray for us. God, we pray that we would go in your strength, by your power. God, we want to be your people, a family and a body united by your strength and your power. I pray that this would be more than just ideas. Help us to live it out in reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 